Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we got a very well-known guest in the a, Fort Wayne local area. A very good guest. Good. Ah, a little dad there. joke here in the beginning. Uh, this is John Good. He owns Real Producers, a publishing company. He puts out a magazine as well as the online uh, journal articles. He's having an awesome gala event that's coming up here in like a month. And... Uh, Constantly giving back to the community. Uh, Dakota spoke at his mastermind and uh, just a cool guy in the real estate community uh, as real estate investors. We've been running into this guy a lot and uh, Dakota knows him a little bit better than I do. Is there anything else you want to add or did I cover it? Um, he's got a really nice watch on. <laughs> Thank you, Dakota. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is John Good. So, guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Absolutely, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for the invite. So one thing that helps a lot of folks is if they can relate to your story, you know, stories speak directly to your subconscious mind. And yeah. so some people will find themselves in your story. Uh, everybody's just a kid from somewhere. And you were telling me a little bit before we got on this where you where you kind of came from. You said you came from Goshen. My yeah. daughter lives there. Oh, wow. Amish country, guys. Amish <laughs> country. Yeah. And uh, you might have even been a minority there. I know, like, now my daughter, right. my daughter is, like, one of six Caucasian kids and like the other 14 kids are Latino. And yeah. so she's like, I don't speak Spanish, but all my friends speak Spanish. Yep. It's like a, I don't want to say it's a third world country, but you gotta, you know, you gotta <laughs> low the lingo a little bit there. Yeah. I thought that was Ligonier. It is. It's kind of a whole area, you know? Yep. Yep. No doubt. So yeah, from Goshen originally, uh, grew up there and then, uh, we'll get into it in a second, but moved to Indianapolis, lived there for four years as well. And then ended up here in Fort Wayne, which I never thought in my life I'd be a, a Fort Wayne you know, home, homebody now, but I love the city, you know, back in the day, it was like, there's nothing cool about Fort Wayne. Like, why, why would we come here? You know, we always went to South Bend or something and that wasn't amazing either, but, uh, Fort Wayne's growing on me, man. I'm, I'm love this city. I'm passionate about it. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We show you where to find the money, how to find the deals, and how to negotiate the deals. We go over live sales calls, including negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's a video that we didn't make that you want, we'll make it for you. This knowledge has made us well over a million dollars and it's available right now for $9.97. Click the link below, buy the course. So I like it. Tell us about uh, your childhood, like growing up, what was that like, your high school years? Yeah. Did you uh, grow up Amish? Did yeah, you, pretty much, like, right? Pretty were much. you middle class? You know how? Yeah, no doubt. So uh, kind of unique story. So I mean, my background, uh, I went to a Mennonite church back in the day where wow. I grew up. So that's a little bit different. And some people are like, oh, you were pretty much Amish then, right? And then it's like, <laughs> no, we drove cars. There was nothing different between us and anybody else like church wise. But, you know, just the more probably conservative side of things, right? And grew up in that kind of environment uh, all my life and, uh, you know, love being at home with the family, hanging out with them uh, throughout all my, you know, my career there. And then basically went to high school, went to Goshen High School, uh, played basketball all my life and played there for four years. And uh, yeah, had a great time just building friendships and relationships there at school and then ended up at Bethel College in Mishawaka for for college then so a little close I got two younger brothers so watching them play sports and be able to be close to them that was you know fun to be able to go back and watch them tear up the court too and the field and all that fun thing so you're yeah. the oldest I'm the oldest okay. yeah one of three boys so I got the oldest in the house right here so yeah man it was fun so to be able to be close to close to family still and then you know be only about 45 to an hour away from from home originally it was nice to kind of be around the area so mm. so you went to Bethel College you said you originally went for engineering yep and then at some point you started to feel like maybe it wasn't serving you to be in school anymore. And you said that you sort of changed your trajectory, yeah. decided to go with an associates. Mm -hmm. And then what happened after that? How did you, when did you know that college wasn't right for you? Yeah. And how did you have the guts to get out? Because a lot of people, like I wanted to finish yeah. just because I didn't want to feel like a failure. So right. I got two years into mine and I was like, dude, this sucks. I don't even want to be here. And I had to like re, I had to just get gritty and just yeah. say, I'm just going to do it. Even though I don't believe in it, I'm still going to finish right. because it was more of like a pride thing and what my parents wanted thing. And then also just, 
uh, I knew that it was going to have an emotional impact on me, a mental and emotional impact if I didn't finish. So I yeah. was like, I'm going to finish this. How did you allow yourself to be like, no, nah, it doesn't have to be the way. There is right. another way. How did you get the guts to leave? Good question, Tony. So uh, basically, my story kind of started out where I was in, uh, you know, high school, and you know, like most high schools, going, high school students going into college, I don't think many people know exactly what they would do, with, want to do with their life, right? And so for me, I looked at, well, what do I love doing? I love, I love numbers. I like math. So what kind of goes with that? Oh, engineering might. Um, another thing that played a factor in me choosing engineering as my major was. Uh, Bethel had a 3-2 program with Notre Dame, so my intentions were to go to Bethel for three years and you get a bachelor's in like more of a broad engineering, and then you would go to Notre Dame to get more of a specialized engineering degree. And basically have two bachelor prices or, or, or you know, d diplomas because of going to two different schools. Uh, another incentive for that was Notre Dame then would cost the same as what Bethel did. So not very often mm -hmm. could you get to Notre Dame, right, and pay that kind of price, mm -hmm. you know, which is still expensive, but, you know, cheaper than just going to Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, Long story short, when I was 18, um, I, since I played sports all my life, I didn't have a job pretty much until that point. But it was right when I turned in between senior year of high school and freshman year of college, my parents started to push me a little bit. Hey, you got to get a job. You got to get some money coming in to support yourself. You're going to college. You got to be on your own. And, uh, you know, I, I applied a couple places. I was like, I don't want to work factory. I don't want to work fast food. I don't want to do any of that stuff. And so uh, randomly one day I actually got a call from uh, Vector Marketing. So anybody on the podcast might know what that is. Um, <laughs> but they are the marketing company who distributes and sells Cutco knives. Pulling data lists like vacant houses, mortgage foreclosures, and tax delinquent properties is important to direct-to-seller marketing. Batch Leads is the main platform where we store our sellers' data and skip trace owners for their phone numbers, emails, and addresses. On other platforms, you end up having to pay twice for the same contact if you've already skip traced it. My favorite thing about batch leads is that if you skip traced a contact once, you never have to pay for that contact again. Batch leads has SMS texting campaigns, direct mail marketing, and driving for dollars app integrated in a simple to use interface. Click the link below and try batch leads today. Um, and so I had a friend that was more of an acquaintance actually, I didn't really know him, but I remember the the call I got was they were breaking up on the phone, but all I heard as an 18 year old was uh, South Bend 45 minute interview, can you be here? And I'm like, well, I'm an hour and a half away. And they're like, just get here as soon as you can. So I, I just threw on whatever clothes I could find, hopped in the car, uh, drove over there, had no idea what the interview was even for. Um, but I think they had said like $20, $20 per appointment or something. I'm like, well, that's pretty good, all right? So I'm gonna go at least check it out. Walked in the place and uh, there's knives everywhere and I about walked out because I'm like, I don't want to necessarily sell knives or I don't know what this is. Um, but ended up going through basically training and, and uh, ended up selling Cutco knives starting when I was 18. So kind of go back to your question, though, Tony, when college happened, I was at that time probably, I don't know, one or two years into Cutco. I'd done really, really well my first summer. Um, Ended up in my first summer, I think, making like 10 grand as an 18 year old, which was pretty wow. crazy uh, in three or four months, which was awesome selling wow. knives. So like that automatically kind of spurred in me my entrepreneurship and like you love being in front of people, selling sales, these types of things. And so it was basically two years into college where I just had this kind of uh, epiphany and, you know, and said like, you know, business and sales is my passion. Like I love people. I love sales. I love that aspect of things. And at that time, engineering just wasn't in the cards, right? It just didn't feel like I was going the right direction. So instead of going to Notre Dame for my last two years, I ended up just staying at Bethel for four and we did a bachelor's in engineering still. So I have it, I'll probably never use it. Actually, I'll know, I know I'll never use it. Um, but then got a business minor, you know, as well, just to kind of facilitate my aspirations to be a you know, business owner entrepreneurship. So um, yeah, it was kind of just halfway through, just randomly decided to call it quits on the engineering side of things and then dove more into my, yeah, my sales skills. So. Wow. So were your parents, uh, you said your parents wanted you to get a job. Yeah. Were, they, were they proud of you once you did that? They were, but I also think there was some hesitancy for sure. I mean, as an 18 year old saying, hey, I'm going to go out and sell knives, you know, like that's that's a different yeah. avenue or path than most people take rather than just going working fast food or having a steady income, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they were, they were, I mean, after the first summer, they were definitely supportive, you know. It was yeah. nice to be able to start with a church and, you know, sell to a lot of my church friends and then build relationships and ask for referrals. And, but learning that, I wouldn't be where I am now, and we'll, obviously we'll get into that, but if it wasn't for my Cutco experience, I mean, starting there as an 18-year-old trying to learn how to, you know, run a business and what it takes to build relationships on a, on a high level, um, 
yeah, it's it's priceless. So even I, I was making a joke with my wife now, like our son is only two years old, but he's going to sell Cutco knives someday, hundred yeah. percent. Just to have that experience is, and if you want to be in sales or not, you always are selling, right? No matter what you're doing in life. Yeah. So that's awesome. It seems it seems as though too, like uh, there are product certain products, like for instance, I've noticed that this is kind of a tangent, but yeah. bil- billionaires like. Uh, uh, Kylie, was it Kylie Jenner or whatever? She sells makeup. Oh, right. And you look at some of the guys like uh, Kanye. He didn't make the majority of his wealth until he started selling shoes. True. And Dr. Dre didn't make the majority of his wealth until he started selling headphones, Beats headphones. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to products that like everybody needs that are exceptional products that work well, yeah. and you have a good sales process for it, it's like, of course... Cutco is still around Absolutely. and it's crazy that they're still around after all these years after 75 years in business I like, think something like that the vacuum companies still yep. do well and it's hilarious because it's like it's just that those types of products can still work because everybody needs them yeah are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place we've been there before and honestly we've tried several different CRMs and RE simply has been the absolute best RE Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records incoming phone calls. The system is very easy to use, and honestly, it has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. Click the link in the description below. Check it out now! And so it doesn't matter whose door you knock on, as long as you can communicate the value, they'll give up the couch and buy the knives. Like, they'll give up the family vacation and buy the knives. Seriously. (laughs) As long as you can communicate, like, hey, you only have to purchase this once for the rest of your life. Yep. And uh, what was it about Cutco's sales process and the experience and that sort of thing? Is the training just that good? Or was it that knocking on doors makes you that bulletproof what was it that made it so valuable to you that you would want your son to do it good question so i mean for me um i think it was the life lessons that i learned throughout cutco they always say you know their culture is big into the, who they are right and as as a direct sales company they hired a lot of college students so mm-hmm. i worked with friends of mine that i referred then and having that culture of just friendship that you get to hang out but it's also competitive right like we have to one we have to win trips i went to iceland i went to like puerto rico i went all over the place just off of cut coast sales, iceland right? is the warmer one iceland is the warmer one iceland's pretty awesome by the way guys. greenland's cold yeah greenland's cold <laughs> Um, but I'll tell you, the cool part, too, is just selling a product that you know is really good, like really good. Like you just said, you buy it once. But I also think for me, it really helped with understanding what a large purchase is. And as an 18 year old, I didn't have a thousand dollars to spend on knives, but trying to get someone else to spend a thousand, two grand, three grand on a set of knives. That took some product conviction for one, but also to understand the value you're bringing to people where like, you know, everybody that knows Cutco. They've been around 75 plus years. They have a guarantee that's forever. So if you break it, melt it, crack it, chip it, no matter what, you send it back and get a sweat that you get a brand new one for free forever. As long as they live, as long as their kids have them, the guarantee never stops, right? So you look at it from an investment standpoint, that's what we treated it as. So you buy, you know, two, three grand worth of knives, but guess what? For the whole rest of your life, 60, 70 plus years, you'll never have to buy another set ever, right? So I think it was that, but also then the sales pro- or the training process, right? Of just teaching us how to build great relationships, build referral-based businesses, where luckily enough, we never had to knock on doors ever, actually. So it was all direct uh, word of mouth, basically. And we learned how to ask for referrals in the correct way of just like, hey, we had a great time with you today. I'd love to meet friends of yours. They don't have to buy, but at least, you know, I'd love to just meet people that might be similar to you. And they would just hand us names of people they thought would be great. We would work off of referral. So learning that, you know, as an 18, 19 year old, and I never did the management side, but then the other side, if you are successful with Cutco in your first couple of summers, they would have the opportunity for you to run your own branch and be a branch manager to hire, fire people, bring people on as a team. And as a, you know, 20, 21 year old, I had friends that did that at a high level um, and were responsible for half a million dollars in sales in a summer, right? And stuff Mm -hmm. like that. That's pretty crazy to have that kind of connection within, you know, that young of an age, right? And so those skills that I learned there obviously then helped me get to where we are now. So yeah, Cutco overall is just a, a great product. You know, I got cuts to prove it, man. We got all kinds of stuff on my hands. It's it's good stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, 
I noticed that whenever you're in college and then like, you know, everybody, your parents are saying, get a job that makes you a lot of money. And that's mm -hmm. obviously why you're going to college. Yeah. But then what I also notice, especially in like the conservative Christian kind of view, is that whenever you do start making money, then they start to tell you, oh, well, it's not all about the money. Whenever you start to make good money. Yeah. So it's interesting. Did you ever deal with that dilemma? Like when you started getting Catco and then like, you know, whether it's your parents, whether it's other people where they're kind of like telling you prioritize especially like from the college sense like you're supposed to follow your passion not go after the money yeah i mean it's definitely a struggle i think no matter what you believe but just like we can't let money rule our lives right that's not yeah. going to be the success of what it is and even nowadays it doesn't matter how much money you make if you know it's about loving people serving others like that's where our fulfillment comes from doing the yep. things god called us to do it's not the money right the money's a great bonus but it's not why we're doing things and that's in my opinion how we should all live our life right we shouldn't be just focused on the money yeah. um so there were definitely i think some of that um more specifically i, I it was it, it was sometimes difficult to to watch some of my friends who were just doing your normal nine to five job and i was making much more than they were and it's hard not to um you know be in a place where i'm like hey i want to go to a you know i want to go to a football game this weekend can you want to go and they couldn't afford it right it was yeah. those types of things that i ran into probably more often than not of just I had the ability to do that as a young kid versus a lot of my peers who couldn't afford to do those things or trips or go on those types of things, right? So that was, I think, some of it. But um, looking back, I, I would say I saw that a little bit, but I mean, not a, not a huge amount, I would say. But you didn't experience it much from your professors or anybody else? Not really. That's I mean, awesome. a lot of times I kind of kept pretty on the down low of people knew I did pretty well with Cutco. They, I never really shared how well that we did, but, you know, um, I think in my, like I said, my biggest, my biggest summer, I think I sold right about $80,000 of knives in, in a summer, right? Wow. Which is pretty cool. And Cut Coast Commission Structure is kind of stupid. You make half eventually at a certain place too, which was awesome. So wow. um, yeah, the, the potential for earning there too was also another intriguing part of why, you know, for my, my sons and, you know, the kids that hopefully we'll have in the future, like it's just a great place to get started as a, as a business owner, right? Just to learn how to do things and manage money and all that yeah. stuff. And that was the hard part for me, let's be honest. I mean, as an 18, 20 year old, right, and making, you know, a paycheck where you make a couple grand, like, I just wanna go blow this, right? Let's go buy something, <laughs> yeah, right? Crazy. Let's go have some fun. But um, yeah, that was a, definitely a struggle, something we all deal with still, I think, to this day, right? A little 100%. bit. Yeah. So uh, you grew up in the Mennonite church. Did you yeah. end up migrating churches to like Grace Christian? Because I know they have like yeah. a good, a good uh, facility there. Right. Yeah, Grace is a uh, Grace is another big place in Goshen. That's a uh, uh, Jim Brown is a friend of mine, actually, the pastor. So that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, cool part is, I mean, just for me, it's, it doesn't really matter what church you go to as long as Jesus is at the center, right? So yeah. that's uh, really the name of the game. It was definitely different atmospheres and no matter what church you would go to. But, you know, nowadays when I moved to India, I went to I-Town down there. Uh, here I go to, uh, we go to Pine Hills here. So, um, yeah, like I said, it doesn't really depend on the atmosphere. It's whatever you kind of, you fit in your community where you, where you feel like you fit. But Definitely different compared to if I go back home and visit church at home, it's just a different feel, no doubt. But uh, yeah, no no bad things about the things I grew up in. I, I enjoyed it. So, mm. Mm. you think that there's any of? So we were kind of trying to contrast the the mentality of uh, the like the folks who are like very traditional, legalistic. Yeah. Um, rule-based, mm -hmm. uh, those values of the church versus like the entrepreneur values, which are like the maverick, the person who's interested in the science and strategy of winning yeah. and like implementing things that get you results. Mm -hmm. And so when you think of those two contrasting value sets, is there anything that you like resent about the the church or is there anything that you resent about like those uh, legalistic values? Or is there anything that you were like, man, I wish that they just did this a little bit differently. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think, unfortunately, I'll just say it this way. Unfortunately, I think that there's a, I don't want to say a misconception about the church because there definitely is in some cases the very legalistic viewpoints, right? Um, but I always, I always, always challenge people to help people understand the true gospel, right? The true gospel is not a legalistic thing at all. It's not. It's about a relationship with our Lord, right? And so the best part about that is, is that, I was very fortunate enough to go to churches uh, throughout my life that didn't have the legalistic point of view. Like, yes, there's what we call the law, right, in the church, but guess what? Everybody in this room and everybody in this whole planet, we've all made mistakes. We all fall short of God's standard, right? And so uh, fortunate enough to have not really a legalistic point of view ever in the church, which is awesome. Wow. So it came from 
just understanding my relationship and who I am in Jesus, mm-hmm. not based on what people are saying. And not saying judgment doesn't happen in the church. It happens more often than we, we should we should hope for, right? And I think that's why people are turned off to the church a lot of times. But the reality is that's not who Jesus is, and that's not who our, our God is, right? And so we can't blame people for how they are because they're broken too, right? Mm-hmm. Our God is not broken, right? So we, we chase after him first. So fortunate enough not to ever have to deal with that stuff. Um, but a lot of that came from just my you know, relationship with him and Jesus revealing things to me and understanding who he is and not necessarily who my, you know, my peers are and, and as a person, right? If that makes any sense. So, wow. Um, yeah, pretty cool. It's perspective, guys. It really is. It comes down to, you know, when we believe something, um, you know, I, I know for a fact Jesus is Lord. You know what I mean? That, that all came from my experience with him, not someone telling me that I made mistakes or I did something wrong. I need to repent. It, I guess repentance is needed, but it's off of what God told me and not humans. Yeah. So, so then the opposite of that, what are the, what were the benefits and the, uh, the ways that growing up in that conservative environment, like being around those people, what was the, the greatest contributor to your success that you got from that environment from growing up that way? Yeah. I think community, honestly, and relationships and just the, the value of, I remember, you know, growing up and having Sundays where we'd have meals and we'd, you know, after church and hanging out with friends and just, you know, having a good time, just building relationships and friendships with people, right? And learning how to do that at a young age. And even to this day, I could go back to my home church and the people know my name. They, you know, they love my family. They follow us on Facebook. They ask how we're doing. It's just like people care about people, right? And like, yeah. that's that's the coolest part about having that community. I think even our relationship with our business then, it, it translates, right? So at a young age, knowing, what a healthy relationship looks like and the boundaries we need to set in some cases, right? It can help us in our business too, of who are we want, who are we talking to, who are we putting our time, you know, who are we spending our time with, right? And so I think that was probably the biggest thing I would say came from that of just like understanding how to love people, right? Mm-hmm. Just be in relationship with people at a great level, at a healthy level. Um, and that goes across the board, even our relationships now personally and professionally, right? So definitely that. So at some point you were in Indianapolis. Yep. What were you doing there before you started Real Producers? Yeah, so let me let me fill in the, kind of the story here. So uh, looking at uh, Cutco, I did that all throughout college, basically. I did that full-time during the summers and then part-time during school. I wouldn't be sell a couple, you know, appointments here or there on the weekends. But nice thing, I was able to work when I wanted to, basically. After college, long story short, I just knew that there was no other place I wanted to be. I wanted to push myself and see what I could really sell at Cutco. And so I stayed there for probably just about four or five years full-time selling knives all year. Uh, And that's what I did. And so there was a lot of different ways we sold Cutco knives. Obviously, you'd have your in-home presentations with families. You do, you know, on occasion we do like uh, fairs and shows, like the home and garden show, flower and patio shows, boat and travel. We do county fairs, like set up booths there and and work as a vendor, all this different stuff, right? So we'd have all of that kind of realm of how we sold knives. And we sold a lot at the shows and events and things. But uh, the main thing I wanted to get into was selling to business owners and realtors. And so Cutco is the industry leader in closing gifts for realtors or business owners. Mm. So we would actually take the knife and we engrave it with their logo, their name, their phone number. And then obviously as a closing gift, guess who's going to use that knife every day? And guess who they're never going to forget? Mm-hmm. The realtors who's engraved on that. And so mm-hmm. we always use the stat from the NAR that said 88% of clients said that they would use their realtor again. But out of the 88%, only 9% actually went through and used that same agent again. Wow. The reason was because they forgot the person's name. That was the only reason. They didn't use them again. They literally forgot the person. Because on average, someone's <laughs> buying or selling a house every seven years. If that agent's not in front of their client for seven years, they're going to go to someone else. They're going to go use their their friend that's now being an agent, right? Yep. And they forget top of mind awareness, right? Yeah. And so that Cutco piece would have 500 plus touches a year. Even if people don't cook, you're going to use a knife every week, at least once or twice. Right. Yeah. And you'll never forget that realtor. So that was the, that was the branding gift. We help businesses with their branding, their marketing, their top of mind awareness, and just using another touch place right, where people use that all the time. And it's quality. People associate Cutco with luxury and quality too. So it was that great gift to give. Um, so I knew I wanted to get into that side of sales because I'm like, that's more intriguing to me. There's more residual inco- income there potentially because if an agent gets rid of their gifts, the goal is for them to buy more gifts, right? Instead of my family down the street who bought a set and they don't need any more knives for the mm. next couple years, right? So Next couple years, you mean life. Life, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I'll, I'll say it right here. So people, we always say Cutco's like crack, man. People just bought more of it and more of it. No matter what, once you start buying Cutco, people just buy a lot of it. They, wow. they love it. 
Uh, so we would have upgrades. People would buy more things like crazy, buy gifts for their kids. But it wasn't quite as residual as the, the business side yeah. of things was, right? Dakota um, likes like full-blown, you know, medieval oh, swords, swords and stuff I like that. I wish we had that, like shiny strong stars or something. Yeah, that'd, that'd be crazy. Exactly. That'd be crazy. <laughs> that'd be so insane. Dakota would buy the um, the ninja star set yes. and like the yeah. the Slayer, you know, like I love sickle. It. Dude, if they had Cutco of those, man, I'd be, watch out. Those things would be sharp. <laughs> <laughs> armory. So, Cutco Armory. Cutco Armory. So yeah, we submit the idea the now. We... We'll it happened on the Tony on it, Dakota guys. podcast. Yeah, yes, LTD on it. LTD, Tony Dakota podcast. We can bring it wherever you want. You know, it'd be, it'd be super cool. Submit the idea. Just, just then your your entire like cold calling list would just be like <laughs> millionaires. Yeah, but you already have the you already have the I, I, right. We the already have it done. Yeah, top just, producers, top producers, list. all the lists. Yeah, we just get them all the all the branded uh, nunchucks, you know, or something. <laughs> <laughs> so is that is that what got you into? like this whole thing yeah okay. so so what happened was uh my my buddy remington who uh is the founder of real producers indianapolis was the starting point of, of rp okay uh and so he called me up in 2015 he was actually a top cut co-rep as well i i was the top rep in the northern half of the state remington was the middle kind of central part of where indianapolis was he was running Cutco's closing gift division, what I wanted to get into at the time. And so um, he called me up one day and said, hey, John, I've got this crazy idea for a magazine that I think that I know I need to start, um, but I don't have time to do both this and my Cutco business. Would you have any interest in moving to Indianapolis and kind of maintaining my current clients? You can build your own business down here. You can kind of take over the, the closing, gifts closing gifts aspect of things. And so um, at that point, I was a year out of college. I'm like, mom and dad, I love you guys, but I'm ready to get out of my own and do my own thing. And so moved to Indy back in 2015 and uh, basically took over the Cutco closing gift side of things for, for that area and for, for REM's team. And so at that time, you know, we were basically calling on agents, right? Trying to earn their business, just like a lender would be, a title company would be, home inspectors, anybody, right? I mean, everybody that's vying for an agent's business, we were just another affiliate out there yeah. trying to earn these agents' business. And so really, you know, getting into the real producer side, I was able to watch real producers at the time. It was called Top Agent, uh, and that was the only time we had it called Top Agent was in Indy. Now it is real producers nationally. Um, but I was able to watch him start just a concept from his brain to launching something, changing the industry down there within a very short time, and then started franchising it out. Uh, and we're now in 130 markets nationally, which is pretty crazy. So wow. every large city has a real producers market or franchise hmm. in it pretty much. Um, which creates you know such a community. So we'll get into that in here in a second. But um, for me, I have more product conviction of what we do because I was able to watch it from the beginning and its essence of starting right versus you know now what it's done nationally at, at, a, at a really a global scale too. It's been pretty crazy. So, um, but really why it started was we saw a bit Remington saw a big problem in the industry of real estate, and that problem was as a vendor. Um, Relationships, as we know, are key, right, to any business. In real estate, they're even more key. I mean, relationship in your in, in your real estate business is critical. Without them, you don't have a successful business. And so, um, the two problems we had we really identified was how do we know who the top agents are because they're who we want to sell knives to. Mm -hmm. And once you know who they are, how in the heck do we get a meeting with them? Because you can't just cold call them. You can't just walk into offices and ask for you know meetings with people. It was real estate is a pay to play model all across the board, right? So we were spending money to go to board events and golf outings and bowling tournaments and setting up tables of knives. And, you know, our, our biggest thing was speaking at team meetings where, yeah, we'd have to buy breakfast for the office and then we get like two minutes to speak in return. <laughs> you guys know this game, right? And so every vendor's doing the same thing, trying to reach agents. But the problem was at all these events we would sponsor, guess who's never in attendance? The top people are mm -hmm. never there. They're busy, right? There's no reason for them to be at an event where there's majority affiliates trying to vie for their business and they're busy closing deals, right? And mm -hmm. so a lot of times we would spend a lot of money and there weren't the people we were even trying to reach in, in attendance. We were speaking to people that are brand new, mm -hmm. sometimes only sold one or two homes so far. That's not the client we were going after. So that big disconnect of how much we were spending versus the results we were seeing of just even connections, that's why Real Producers was started. And so at its core, Real Producers is a relationship building platform for the top agents to network with each other and with the top businesses in the market, right? So we kind of play as a platform, really just connector between all parties to make sure the best are doing business with each other. 
is you guys being in real estate, you'd rather do a transaction with someone that you know, that you know they do a great job, that you know is another top person, rather than someone you have no idea who's on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. It's just gonna be so much easier across the board to have those relationships. So um, yeah, does that make sense? I mean, that's kind of where we started and why it was started was that that problem he saw within his Cutco business. And then, you know, we launched that back in 2015 was the first magazine. Now eight years later, like I said, we're national, which that's is crazy. crazy. So, so I, I want to talk a little bit about publishing yeah. because, yeah. you know, Gary Vee would be crapping all over this right now. I'd be like, yeah, that's yeah. a dying format oh, to like yeah. buy a magazine company. But yeah. then I noticed EXP bought Success Magazine and I get it regularly in my mailbox. Yeah. And so what, how do you make a magazine successful? I know a lot of it's through advertising. Yep. I mean, that's how you end up breaking even. Does it even make money or is it kind of like a thing that helps, uh, you know, sort of like direct mail marketing? We do direct mail marketing. Yep. And is it just something consistent that kind of brings in a little bit of business? Where does the majority of the success of real producers come from? Is it the magazine? Yep, it is the magazine, believe Holy it or not. Crap. Believe it or not, it is the magazine is the core. It is the it is everything that we do is the actual publication. Um, I, know, I know you guys and our, our li your listeners too have heard the phrase print is dead, right? And that's mm -hmm. what Gary Vee will say, that's what everybody will say. <laughs> right? We live in a technology-based world, right? So it would it'd be an assumption that print is dead. We always say print is dead if the content isn't good or if you can Google it. If you can find it online, you're probably not printing something that's very valuable to your readership, right? However, real producers and niche publications like ours have been continuing to grow even through COVID. We got a boom during COVID because relationships are always needed, right? So even though, yes, we publish a magazine, that's the, the meat and potatoes of real producers is the actual features, all these different things that we do. What's a huge part of our platform is, is even our partners all know this. We have 50 some partners nowadays in Fort Wayne that partner with us. All of them understand that their ad in the magazine, it, it's not for them getting calls off of, right? If you're, if you're doing print marketing and you're assuming that by putting an ad in somewhere, I'm gonna get X amount of calls because it's in there, you're looking at it totally wrong, right? Because what it does, it keeps you though top of mind in front of your clients where once they meet someone at an event, they see you at uh, you know other things Real Producers is doing. There's just a lot more to our platform than just the magazine itself. That, that print ad in there, um, it's that tool that we always say, it, when you buy your car that you own right now, what do you see on the road after you buy that car? You see that car everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't that there's more of them out on the road, it's just that your mind is now in tune and your subconscious is, is seeing it, right? And it's the same idea. When someone gets to know you personally at an event, I connect you to somebody, you start building that relationship, all of a sudden as the agent's reading through our magazine, they see your ad, it's just another touch where they're like, oh, hey, there's Tony, there's Dakota, I saw them at our event, I met them, right? Or I get to know them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that tool uh, that we use. And so niche publications like ours have just seen a massive boom over the last number of years just because um, it's not your typical, let's put it in a newspaper and run it. You know what I mean? There might be some places where print is dying, but content wise, that's another big thing to touch on is the, the content has to be stuff that, like I said, you can only find in real producers, which is true. You can't find our stories anywhere else. You can't find them online. You can't find them anywhere, but in the magazine. So I can tell you right now, go to a lot of offices across the, the city. People collect these things. I, I have agent friends of mine who are top agents who collected the last six years of magazines. They have them all. Like they have wow. all of them. And the life shelf, uh, uh, the shelf life of a, our, our publication is pretty crazy. Uh, people love it. And even at Cool banker, they hang up the canvases in their office. Uh, EXP has our, our magazine everywhere, put it up on the walls of their features of their agents. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy that the wave that we've made, not only just here, but I mean, like I said, nationally too. So, yep, that's that's, awesome. that's what we always say to the print side of things because I, I would I would say, you know, if you're trying to build relationships, and we actually even tell our business partners this, lastly, but um, the best fit for our business platform is not someone doing typical marketing. If you're doing advertising on radio, TV, billboards you might not be the best fit for what we're doing. We're a relationship-based platform, so if you're trying to build referral relationship-based businesses, that's the best fit, the best fit for real producers and partnering with us. So the ad is just a small part of it, but the magazine is well-known and people love it and they read it all the time and they're obsessed with it. So, yep. I like it. You said uh, 50 partners in Fort Wayne. What, is that, what does that mean? What does the partners mean? Yeah, so we're exclusive in the fact that you have to partner with us as a business in order to be invited to our events, in order to be a part of our platform and all as aspects of things. That includes our magazine, that includes the events we do that are private to our, our partners. And touching on that real briefly, I think it's important is the fact that when I was doing the Cutco thing, right, and I remember going to events and sponsoring tables and doing these things, I remember sponsoring 
you know, I'm not going to say the brokers, but sponsoring a table for a grand, basically, out of my own pocket as a 20 year old, right, not having a ton of income coming in. I'm like, that's a lot of money by myself. I don't have a marketing budget like a, mm-hmm. a lender would or a title company would. And I remember going to that event, spending a thousand dollars, and it was 80% vendors in the room. And I'm like, why did we just spend this money to network with our peers and our competitors? Mm-hmm. There's no agents even here, mm-hmm. right? And so when we looked at it from that standpoint, Real Producers is based around the fact of exclusivity, right? So our magazine goes to the top 300 agents in the city of Fort Wayne. That's who earns it. Um, And then our business partners, you have to partner with us in order to be in attendance. So what that does is all of our events, guess what? There's 80% top agents there and only about 20 to 25% of vendors because we don't invite all the lenders in the city. That's only our 10 that partner with us, right? And Mm -hmm. so that exclusivity point is huge. And our business partners love that, you know, knowing that, you know, we have like a locksmith. We have one guy that's a locksmith. He has no other competition at the events. You know, he has, you know, basically the free reign to dominate the market for however he wants. And even our lenders and our title companies, you know, we only have a handful of them. There's way more out there that aren't at our events or can't be in the room with the right people, you know. So what does that do for their business? It's pretty awesome to meet the right people uh, through the events, through the magazine, that type of thing. So partnering with us basically looks like, you know, we meet with you. Uh, nowadays, and even how we started out, we vet our partners. Like, yes, we're trying to make money off of the sale we make, obviously. But as you can imagine, with the trust that we've gained over the years, it will re- reflect pretty poorly on us if we're referring bad people to these top agents. So we yeah. need to vet the people we work with. And so we only partner with the best. That's that's who we partner with. So, so uh, I noticed that you have different... Um levels to your people you know you got the people who sponsor each event you have different sponsors which is something that uh, we're actually looking into now because yeah we we didn't want to do exactly what you said is have two different title companies that are sponsoring let's say the ria yep. but then i noticed that you have two. you just categorize them different how do you separate them and how did you like create this structure where it's like okay we can have two people this one's gonna be this this one's gonna be that like how do you do that yeah so um i'll tell you one thing that we've been very blessed with and fortunate to do is is the fact that um Partnering with the magazine is one is one thing, right? So we can have, you know, we'll have a limit on certain categories like lenders. I think we have uh, 11 right now. 12 is kind of my cap where we're going to have like a waiting list. And so imagine what that does to the people that are already partnering with us. Yeah, they ain't leaving. They ain't leaving because they know there's probably a chance they don't get back in if they if they yeah. you know, if they leave. And so the, the magazine, we do some, we don't do exclusivity for the magazine. We have pretty much as many partners with uh, each category that we can. Uh, the only extra sponsorships that we really have done is the gala that's coming up. That's just a huge event where we need help, frankly, and there's just so much we're doing with that where we are allowing uh, one type of specific partner per category. So like the headliner, we couldn't have two lenders. It had to be one lender and maybe the title or builder or someone like that. Um, but then like Mastermind is our other thing that we do. That's kind of a sub thing of real producers. Um, once again, we only allow one industry type per category per month right and so that those two we've kind of deciphered and said this is your exclusivity for this event right like if you want to sign on for the next three months and sponsor mastermind then by all means you have access to that there won't be another title company sponsoring those three right um and so that's obviously drawn a lot of you know uh great things because some partners are like well can we just do the whole year (laughs) you know so that way we have access to sponsoring all 12. um and so those are the only kind of two things, the gala and mastermind, that we would actually separate and only have one per category. Uh, the it. magazine, we we don't do that. So, mm-hmm. yep. yeah, I thought about that too for like our for you, you know, guys. When yeah. we have national events and we have bigger speakers on, be more like I'd be looking for sponsors like PropStream and like you know yeah. Ari Simply yeah. and you know some of those other ones that are more general. If we're having people come from Ohio and Michigan and that sort of thing, but also even if the Fort Wayne folks, like we could switch and use somebody who you know somebody's exclusive to our real estate investors association but then we have a different sponsor who's exclusive to the the masterminds Mm -hmm. and and we decided that masterminds are valuable but what what made you decide that the mastermind was a thing or that it should be a foundational component of real producers it's free free. right yeah so the one thing you know i didn't really touch on but everything we do for the realtors are 100 free everything the features are free it's based on nominations based on hard work it's based on them earning it Mm. Um, and so that's the important part for people to understand as well is that we work off of truly nomination right so i have business partners other agents managing brokers who are really good friends of mine that they'll just nominate their people uh we meet with them and then we we feature them right so it's, it's pretty a cool process where you know I keep going back to the Cutco days, but being on that side of the vendor side, 
I always had gatekeepers every door. I couldn't just walk into offices and say, hey, I'm here to show my knives to everybody in the office, right? Mm -hmm. No way we'd be let in. Nowadays, uh, there's no gatekeeper for me at any office that's a real estate office. Everybody wants me there because they understand that their agents are probably being featured. Right, it validates the agent's business to be featured in something like we do. That's a luxury magazine. Uh, the mansion brokers love it. Helps with recruiting. Uh, just having more people from their office that are top agents being featured. Right, it's all yeah. it's all benefits to them, and so it allows us to kind of play matchmaker between the agents and between the vendors and between each other. Frankly, too, you know, the one thing I've heard over and over again from agents uh, over the last six years that we've been here in Fort Wayne, they just love getting to know people at a different level, right, at a, at a deeper level where. Like I mentioned before, when there were multiple offers on the table, I had agents wanting to work with certain agents on those offers. Why would you not? Like if you don't know the other people that are offering stuff and you don't know how that transaction is going to go and you know this other agent's a top agent who I've worked with before, who I know personally who's a friend of mine, you're going to try to use that offer as much as you can if they're identical, right? Would you mm -hmm. not? So agents just love getting to know each other personally. In the magazine, the features do that. So the features are a lot more personal talking about their life the family the person behind the success we try to take the realtor mask off a little bit and not just talk about the numbers and yeah you, we know you're a great agent but let's not talk about that let's talk about your foundations where you came from what you did before this you know my, my interesting thing is that i've never met an agent telling me that they grew up wanting to be a realtor like everybody did something before yeah. real estate everybody right and so um, just hearing those stories, being able to share that kind of creates those conversational pieces between the agents and themselves across brokerages um, and those types of things too. So, I mean, really the, the free aspect of stuff is, is huge to the realtor. The events are free, obviously to all of them. Uh, the mastermind, going back to your question, Tony, was uh, something that we've kind of, as we've progressed in real producers, we've just seen needs across the board where we can kind of fill in and be that solution. Um, and the reason I'm saying it this way is like, you know, there's a lot of great offices and, and brokerages out there that do great events, do great training, uh, you know, anything from Keller Williams to EXP to Cobalt Banker, they all have their own training and such training one, there's a lot of good people out there. Um, but we also understand that if a brokerage puts on an event and they have other agents that can come there, we know there's probably a hidden agenda of recruiting behind mm -hmm. that event, is there not, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, us being a third party where there's no hidden agenda, we're just trying to elevate everybody's game, right? And become better versions of everybody in the industry. Um, it allows us to put on masterminds like that where we can bring an educational you know, standpoint uh, instead of just the fun stuff. You know, our big four events that are exclusive to our partners and our agents, um, those are a lot more laid back, fun events, free food, drinks, giveaways. We give away a ton of stuff every event uh, and they're held all over the city at cool places, right? Those are more of your networking, fun, social events. Uh, but then that need for an educational piece was something that we saw here, but also nationally too, as we kind of progressed. It's not something I actually launched until year five, um, you know, and a lot of people don't know this, but I kind of keep masterminds separate from real producers in a way. So I, I open up the mastermind to pretty much anybody that wants to come in the industry. They don't have to be a specific agent or partner. It's it's open to everybody. Uh, and so it's more John Good hosting mastermind and facilitating that through mm -hmm. our sphere mm -hmm. versus real producers hosting it. People still think it's an RP event, which is fine. Um, but yeah, just saw the need and, and nationally too, just how are we gonna get better, right? It's by education. And so that's that's kind of the aspect of what we do there, so. Were you ever a real estate agent? Never. Do you have any, never, never any rental license. property or anything like Not that? Not yet, but I tell you, I told Dakota this a while back. This is on my, I'm buying, I got my first couple this year. We have to do it. I mean, it's something I'm passionate about. My wife and I have been listening to so, so many podcasts, learning stuff, picking Jordan's brain, you guys. I mean, like, just we, we need to get in that game 100%. You need to figure out how to lose some of your taxable income. Yeah, like some of it, right? Exactly. <laughs> so um, something that's definitely becoming a passion of mine just because we've been so focused on the growth of real producers now to we're to a place where we're a lot more maintaining things where we're, you know i can step away i have a team running a lot of the stuff where we can be more the visionary and focus on our long-term wealth and growth right mm -hmm. that's that's the key so yeah i was going to ask where where does the money come from then is it just sponsorships then is this your partners that's it's all partners okay yep. so that's where the actual the income is from them advertising because they're that's the it. vendors and then you're bringing top people, which is going to regenerate more money than what that, they're doing. Yep. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of people at home might be like, that doesn't sound like it, it would work, but then mm -hmm. just look at Google. <laughs> right, right. That's like they have a monopoly on connecting people with customers and yep. advertising. So uh, if you don't think that advertising works, it's probably the main business that has been successful over the last hundred years. It's just shifted uh you know avenues and media types yeah. and you know the vehicles just changed yep. but getting 
customers, getting businesses and customers together is like, it's marketing. It will always be relationships, right? I mean, that's that's our main focus. And so, I mean, the value we bring is is pretty, when you think about the fact that the two problems every vendor has trying to reach agents is identifying those top agents, because I'm a numbers guy, that engineering still is in me a little bit. Uh, from a number standpoint, but a couple numbers for you guys. Uh, out of the last, uh, call it two years, um, half of our distribution list has changed in two years. So yeah. what that tells me is 150 agents have, have now earned the magazine versus two years ago, right? And that, that says a lot to me. That means the 150 agents who have earned this for like the last five years, they're always going to be top agents. They're, they're, they're industry leaders. Mm-hmm. And, but those other 150, guess what? There's probably some pillars in our industry who just aren't working as much anymore. They're traveling more, their son or daughter's running the business, they're not in growth mode anymore. And we have a lot of hungry people that are in the industry that are trying to up their game that are growing, right? And so, you know, having in two simple years, have half of the distribution list change, that's crazy. So as a partner, if you're not in front of that and you don't know who the top agents Mm -hmm. now are, you're probably wasting money meeting people that aren't doing as much business as you think they are, right? I remember going and spot and bringing lunches or taking an agent to lunch. And I thought they were a great agent and then come to find out they only did like three homes last year. And I'm like, wait, you told me you're a top agent, right? And it's like, like, I'd sold $2 million home. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but versus like, do we actually know who the top agents are? That was the first struggle. And then once you know who they are, how in the world do I get a meeting with them? Cause like mm-hmm. I said earlier, it's just, it's so difficult to do. And so almost look at real producers as a bridge between both parties. And in the last five years, I've, you know, it, it's really the program, but I've met probably 250 top agents in the city. Um, I can safely say a lot of them are really good friends of mine. And so it's it's really easy for me to kind of play matchmaker between partners and vendors and, and agents and kind of just facilitate those relationships. And so to your point, Tony, like if someone's advertising with us and, you know, we have all kinds of different options from a from a quarter page to a half to a full, there's a lot of different options in the magazine. Some companies wanna have the most prominent section in there, obviously have your big exposure because it's in front of their ideal client um, versus other ones that maybe are smaller, brand new in the business, they're still a great person, but they don't have a marketing budget like that and they wanna go over something smaller right away, right? And so the ad is huge, but it gets them access to um, everything that we do, not just the print magazine, right? But we've got online social community, we've got a private Facebook group, we've got all of our events that we do. So and then you have me as a tool, really. So if to connect with somebody, you know, I tell partners quite a bit, I'm like, hey, if there's someone you want me to introduce you to, please let me know. Like, I, if I know them, I'll see what I can do to get you a lunch or a sit down or, or a coffee, right? Just something where people can have a face to face relationship. Uh, and you know, I'm a big believer that in business, you can never have too many great relationships. Mm-hmm. You can never have too many. You have, even if you have great partners already, having one more just in case in your back pocket, right? You never know when you might need them or you might need, you know, something that they offer, right? And so the more we can get to know each other and have uh, friendships across the board, the better. Um, and so, you know, that's that's kind of looking at that standpoint. And then uh, the other crazy stat is is we want, we want to make sure we're connecting the right people to each other. Like I mentioned before, it's it's sometimes difficult to understand who the top agents are, but the nice thing about knowing you're a partner with real producers is the top 300 agents um, did about 76% of all the business in Fort Wayne last year. A huge amount, almost all of it, right? 80-20 rule, call it that, right? 80-20 principle, Pareto Pareto principle. That's that's exactly right. And so 76% equated to about $3.8 billion of business done by those 300 agents. uh, About 6,000 families brought in by those 300 agents alone. And so we always tell businesses, when you're looking at building relationships, there's nothing wrong with going after every agent under the sun. But the bottom 400 did zero to one or two homes last year. Is that going to change your business? No. No, not at all, right? Versus someone that's in the top 300 who did 30 transactions minimum, four and a half million dollars, and they might be growing, right? Those are the relationships we need. So the nice thing about what we do, we don't need to have a ton of, you know, five, we don't need to have 50 great connections a year to make it profitable for a business. We just need to connect them with one or two great people, and it's going to change their business dramatically versus what they're spending, right? And so, you know, the ROI question is always one we get from anything, right? Just like, what am I spending? How much am I getting back? And uh, I was reading a book uh, not too long ago. It was a podcast somewhere I heard this. And it was someone talking about ROI is, is uh, something that people look at incorrectly. And what they said was people look at advertising that they're spending, right? And they're like, okay, I'm spending $600 a month here, so I better get at least $600 a month back. That's how people look at it. However, you have to realize that there are multiple factors for someone choosing to buy and use your service. And I give McDonald's as the example. Now, why do people eat at McDonald's all the time? 
Well, because they just saw them one place, right? They probably heard on the radio today. They heard a couple of commercials. They saw them on TV. They drove by the arches. They saw a billboard. They probably touched subconsciously four or five, six, seven times a day mm. by McDonald's, right? That's why you're in the drive-thru at the end of the day. It's because you saw them all over the place. And so that idea of ROI is, is like it's going to take multiple touches for your business to be in front of somebody before they choose to use you. Mm-hmm. Real Producers is just one of the best ways to get in front of the right people and then also be a part of the board or sponsor an event a brokerage is doing. Do all of these factors are going to play into you converting relationships to business, right? Mm-hmm. And so like that perspective is so important for people to understand because that's what really marketing is. It's not a put it in once, we're going to get this in return. Or if we right. don't, it's, it's failure. No, it's not. It's, it's another touch for them to see, you know, your business. Yeah. So, and for, for some people too, you know, you hit on different personality profiles as well when it comes yeah. to advertising. And so you really only have time to do, to hit like one of those personality types. So if somebody's highly analytical, it might be the three for three. Like sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good price for like, you know, a Big Mac and the, right. the four piece chicken nuggets and French fries for like $5. I'm in. Right. And then other times it's like, does this solve my problem? Mm-hmm. And am I like, is it convincing? And then another time it might be like oh i love that mcdonald's hand like disproportionately hires people with disabilities and people of certain ethnicities you know if like that's something that's valuable to the people so they're like does it have my core value so i mean what you're hitting on is that your magazine is focused on the relationship and like building that warm and fuzzy feeling with people where they can really feel like they actually connect with the agent which is something that's missing from the market as far as advertising and branding goes like you got to have multiple uh, uh, five-star reviews on your Google My Business page, which is something that we focus on. But yep. like, you also have to know what you're talking about and you relay to them that you can solve their problem. And then for some people, it's just the price. Like everybody has different motivations. So to your point, point, there's like a lot of different ways that you need to touch people so that yep. they know that your product is the right product or your service is the right service. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I, I would also say too, just like, you know, to that point, really, you know, when you're spending money on, on marketing or advertising or relationship building, you're not going to be a fit with everybody. Like you just said, you're going to have to find uh, the people that you are fits with. And so, you know, we even try to teach our partners. We have a, once someone signs on as a partner with us, we do basically like a ways to win sheet. We call it a partner blueprint, ways to maximize our partnership together. Uh, we tell, we tell businesses like, Hey, if you're just letting the ad sit there and you're not engaging with the rest of the platform, I'll, you're probably not going to get too much out of it. Like it takes uh, effort on your end and our end to make sure you're connected to the right people. Um, but one thing that, you know, we've learned over the years is even helping people learn how to network correctly, you know, and how often, and I, I I'm guilty of this back when I was younger and I still maybe do it sometimes, but like, you know, when I would introduce myself to somebody, what do we end up talking about right away? The weather. Yeah. Right. Something awkward, something small talk that's not building any deep relationship already. Mm-hmm. Like we teach, you know, if you can find out something about the agent that you're wanting to go after as a, as a potential business client with you, get to know them a little bit first. Maybe maybe you go on Facebook and become a stalker for a second to see what, what's going on in their life. Did they have an anniversary? Did their son play basketball last week in a, at Spice? Or did your daughter win the spelling bee? Did they have a birthday recently? They have mutual friends. Do you have mutual friends, right, that you can discuss? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. These types of things. Just imagine the value you're starting and the relationship you're building with somebody when you approach them and talk about their kids or say, hey, congrats on your feature in Real Producers. You know, I read your story. This really impacted me this way. Like these types of deep conversations will build that baseline for people to have a great relationship with you. Mm-hmm. not the weather not the small talk that's not going to get you anywhere right but i've learned over the years what do people talk about forever their kids themselves they'll talk about their family all day long right so mm-hmm. you know in turn when we ask people about their families talk about their passions th- something we read about them in the magazine um, a lot of times those agents reciprocate it back and they ask about you right which is where we want to get to so i almost call it kindergarten all over right like yeah. we build friendships <laughs> that's what we're doing right and once you have that baseline then we can talk about, yes, we offer this in business. We offer this. We also do these. We can help you out. We can serve you. Um, I just learned when you know what someone's struggling with, you can then help them, right? Or you can find a solution and maybe you're a great fit for their business. But you're not going to know that if, if you don't get to that point, if you don't get that, that conversation out there, right? And so the top agents, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for people that are trustworthy, that do a great job, that are the best at what they do as well. Um, they don't want just someone that's there to basically be transactional that's not what we want to do we want to build deep relationships with somebody which will lead to business you know and the the story i always give is and there's plenty of rising stars that we featured in the magazine 
that in their first couple of years maybe only did like you know three four million dollars in sales which is great a starting point in their first couple of years long story short though five years later i have endless stories that they're now top you know 25 50 in the city they did 18 20 25 million dollars last year five years later like imagine as a business if you built a great relationship with somebody five years ago mm -hmm. you might only got a couple deals then but if you continue to flourish that relationship throughout the last five years your business has changed because of that one relationship it just takes one right yeah so that's, that's what focus. actually that's actually what I was going to ask you about was like uh, you said the so first of all how many agents are there in uh, in Fort Wayne so license there's about give or take 1500 sometimes 1600 just depends license wise there might be a few less now because the market's changed a little bit but um, like I said those bottom 400 did zero to three homes a year last year probably something like that okay and then uh, you said the minimum to get in the top 300 is 30 transactions or 4.5 million. We, look, we go by volume. So it was four and a half million was the cutoff last year. So we saw uh, kind of looking at numbers, though, four years ago, we did the bottom was 3.6 million, I think. And then it went to 3.8, 4, 4.5, then 4.5 again. So it went twice in a row, the same thing. Um, so we've seen continued growth, obviously, with the market being in the way it was and that I want to say business was easy, but it was flowing. There was so much business out there for everybody. Yeah. Um, and now last year it stayed about the same, which is to be expected. So probably gonna be right about 4.5, you know, next year as well, most likely. Got it. I'll say for me, I was just thinking, I was like, man, 4.5. <laughs> whenever I saw that, that was like, that sounds kind of low. Mm -hmm. like kind of easy almost in a way where I'm like, yeah. man, if you're not hitting that, like, what are, what are you even doing? What are you doing? Yeah, because as an agent, so I just did some quick math. That's $135,000 a year if you're getting 3% on the side of 4.5 million. And yep. even then that's not taking into consideration advertising, which you spend your gas, all of that other stuff. So yep. I'm like, man, you're probably making like 80,000. You're in the top. Like to me, yep. that's surprising. I'm like, I don't know. Is that, is that no. like, you're thinking he's right. And, and like part of our thing here, and it is the market we live in, let's just call it what it is. It's, it, it, anybody that says differently, it's, it, it is the market because it changes no matter where you go. If you're going to, you know, Indy, the bottom in Indy was 9 million. Last year was the bottom okay. for the, their, that was 500 even. So 500 and like number wise, wow. it's kind of crazy thing about Fort Wayne. We're a growing city. I love where we're at. I think we're an amazing spot to be one of the best in the country. And I'm, as investors, you'll say the same thing. I'm sure it's oh, a yeah. great place to be. Um, I, I always, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with developers, stuff like that, and really looking forward. Uh, Fort Wayne reminds me of Indy a little bit, but just like 10 years behind. You know, the road system set up the same. It goes around all of Fort Wayne, but the whole east side's not developed. It's all farmland, right? And mm. there's so much farmland everywhere. Eventually, it could be a huge metro, and I think it will be, um, which is great for all of us. But with that point, in Indy, there's about 9,000 realtors. Here, there's 14, 15, 1,600. Yeah. Um, in our bigger cities, my buddy in Dallas runs four real producers franchises. They have 90,000, well, close to 90,000 realtors in Dallas wow. alone. So when you're talking about the top 500 there, their bottom dollar is going to be, you know, $20 million most likely, right? So Fort Wayne, and part of what we do, and that's in our name, is underneath real producers, our masthead, it says connecting, elevating, and expiring, right? Our goal is to connect first, right? But then we want to inspire people to break that barrier, right? To go above and beyond what people have done here in Fort Wayne before. Um, good example of this is, you know, the Roger Bannister mile, right? When someone ran the mile yeah. under four minutes, how many people did it after that? Mm -hmm. A lot, right? Same thing in Indy. I look at Indianapolis. There was, uh, Dick Richwine was the first person to sell $100 million in Indianapolis. This was probably, I don't know, five, six years ago, something like that. He did it for the first time. No one had done it previously. Wow. And then nowadays there was like four or five last year that did it. Wow. Right. So it's that, it's that barrier where I feel like we're on the cusp of people breaking it. Um, and it just takes a little encouragement, elevating the game, seeing other people do it. Then you have that belief that I, I can do this, right? If someone else has done it in Fort Wayne, I can do this too. And so that's really our goal is to share the stories of these people who are doing, you know, the 20, the 30 to $50 million a year, which is great for our city. Um, but how do we get more people to also catch up and do those same things? It's possible. Definitely 100%. is. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just, it is crazy. Uh, whenever I look at these numbers and then yeah. I look at like what real estate agents do the mouth, I, I don't know. I, I look at it just differently because obviously like for us, dude, we could sell $20 million. Who cares? Absolutely. doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is our net. So I, I always come at yeah. it from a car sales thing, but I always think it's interesting because we sold uh, like 9.7 million or something like that. I don't know, some a little under 10 million, yep. but then our net was like 2 million. Right. Like profit. Yeah, profit. So I'm like, okay, so you guys sell 10 million, you make, let's just say freaking 260. Right. We sell 10 million, then we freaking make like 2 million. So right. why, I, I don't know, but that's just like- I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I'd love to see the game be upped. And, and that's what we're going after is just people raising the bar. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I want. <clears throat> I, I'm thinking like now you got me literally thinking about like how could we create the same thing almost for an investor standpoint, yeah. and that'd be really interesting. And then like you go over your books and stuff like that because like that'd be really cool if we did that for the RIA, the same thing that you're doing. Right. Do it for the RIA. That would be interesting. Maybe, we, maybe we're gonna start a partnership. There you go. We're gonna there hit up hit up <clears throat> Cutco and get one of those Game of Thrones chairs oh, that you yes. get to sit yes. on when you win, like a ten thousand dollar metal chair, <laughs> and then uh, and then like a medieval armory, you know, with like a novel, you know, you get you get your uh, yes. battle axe award or whatever. It's like <laughs> if you guys watch college football or pro, right? Like all these guys after they get an interception, they get like the chains, right? It's like that kind of thing, right? Okay. You do something good, and like you get the chain thrown on you or yep. something, you know? Like there you go, little incentive. Let's go. People love it. <laughs> All right, uh, getting to the last couple questions. We're yeah. nearing the end of the podcast here. Uh, before I ask you the final, final question, just want to know, what's your biggest struggle right now? Mm. Good question. So for me, uh, it's it's delegating. That's that's a tough one for me. I love having my hands in the stuff I'm doing, uh, but I also realize as we've grown and we run more things, and even you know, I'm playing this gala, throwing Mastermind the same month, I mean, doing all these different things, I can't handle all this stuff. And that's not even talking the publishing side of things. I mean, luckily I don't have to do any of the content where it comes to like designing the magazine. Our parent company has been around 25 plus years. They're the industry leader uh, in niche publications. And so uh, they're a $150 million company. They do all of our backend stuff when it comes to design, printing, publishing, sending it out, mailing it, all that's taken care of. Uh, but we are still in charge of, you know, meeting agents, getting interviews, photography, right? All of these different things that we have to have content wise to make the magazine run. Uh, it's easy for us as publishers to, uh, you know, do a lot of that ourselves and then eventually get to that point where we need to delegate, delegate more, which is where I'm at. So um, getting stuff off my plate, uh, that's that's probably my biggest struggle, which yeah. for any entrepreneurship, I think is pretty, pretty standard. Yeah, yeah we're all there. So how many uh, quick question? How many people work for real producers? Like how many employees or? Yeah, good question. So our, our franchise model is a little bit different in the fact that uh, we are all franchise owners. And so oh, okay. my individual franchise here we have like six people on my team including photographers writers ad manager uh content people like that stuff and then uh if you go to dallas or indianapolis like they have their own separate teams that would be running basically how, their pubs so how many franchises uh we're now in 130 um Shoot. which is pretty crazy so that's nationally right now uh remington who i already mentioned before who founded real producers and myself we're the two launch coaches for the country so we coach new launches in uh the the, the, the usa um and so we've kind of identified probably about 70 more potential territories in the country that would be able to hold Jeez. a real producer. So right now we're in a massive, um, you know, growth mode of, of recruiting, hiring people, training them, coaching them. So I kind of run the first interview process. Uh, it goes to Remington then after that, we bring people on to run the franchise and then we're in charge, him and I, to actually coach them through the ramp up period. So the unique part too, and I'll share this lastly, um, about the franchise model for real producers is that we don't, we didn't pay anything up front out of our own mm -hmm. pocket. There was no McDonald's where you pay a million dollars, you own your restaurant and then you, you run it. Uh, there is no upfront cost out of our pocket, but we did have a period of time that we call ramp up and we're essentially paying for our magazine to be published, right? And so we're sell, out selling advertising, meeting realtors, building content up. Uh, and on average, that takes anywhere from three to five months to do. Um, and so some people aren't the best fit for our franchise model because there is no income for three to five months. You're out there grinding, mm -hmm. right? Making appointments, making sales, and then eventually you have your magazine paid for, which I don't even see come out of my paycheck every month. That's just, it's just, you know, it's gone. Um, and then everything else past that's profit. So that's the, that's the cool part about the model is, you know, it, it didn't take a lot up front to go other than hard work and just busting your butt to, wow. to get out there and meet people, right? And so... You know that was uh that's that's what we're coaching people to do now is run the exact franchise model we've already got it pretty much set in stone it's a blueprint you just follow it, it used to be when i launched i think i was number i was in the 20 somewhere of launches across the country we had basically i don't want to say no structure but it was a lot of like hey it worked in this city try it there see if it works <laughs> you know what i mean yeah uh, nowadays it's a well-oiled machine we just basically have the blueprint ready to wow. go we coach people through it now it still takes them i mean coaching obviously as you guys know is, is difficult you still got to motivate people people aren't doing the activity we tell them to do we're like hey you guys own the franchise but you're going to listen to us for at least three months we need yeah. to get you to print and get you a great profit level first then you can do your own thing yeah um and so yeah that's been a that's a whole another side of things which is fun but uh yeah right now 130 and we've got another 65 70 left to, to fill and then it's basically uh full you only have to you have a certain amount of agents in a market to make it work business partners there has to be a certain amount so there's really only kind of around 200 markets potentially open for rp which is pretty cool that's awesome
So, so you're 30, 31. 31. Okay. Yep. So 69 years from now, you're 100 years old. Oof. You're on your deathbed. Uh, you made it so long because you, you know, Elon Musk gave you like Neuralink and you're able to diagnose problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an earlier conversation. Yeah. You took the 10x gene mutation test and you're yep. supplementing regularly with all the things you need. So you made it to 100, but it's fatal. You're going to mm-hmm. die soon. You have like an hour left. And this is your message to the world. So it could be on a billboard or mm. it could be your legacy message. It could be a mantra or a paragraph or a sentence. It is John Good's final message that he feels that the world needs to hear. Everyone will remember you by it. It's okay. your legacy statement. What are you saying? Definitely love Jesus, love people. And uh, I'm also a big believer in the fact that, you know, bad things happen to all of us but it's how we respond to those that either make us have a good day or a bad day, Mm. you know? So choosing joy, choosing, I don't want to say happiness because happiness I think is a little, you know, surface level, but joy is a much deeper thing, right? So having pure joy all the time, no matter your circumstances, that's our choice, right? Mm -hmm. Even God gives us that. He tells us that his joy, right, is new every day, right? His mercies are new every day. And it's like, how could I have a bad day if I realize the perspective of, you know, who I am and who he's called me to be? So no matter what bad stuff is out there, I just encourage people to choose joy, right? To love people, to serve others, right? Give back as much as you can and just have fun doing it. I mean, life's an awesome journey, man. Like, that's the best thing about it. Every day is a new day. You get to create something for yourself. No matter what situation you're in, if you're working nine to five or if you're, you know, in entrepreneurship, you still get to choose how you make that day and what it's going to be, right? So. Love it. That's what I would say. Awesome. I like it. All right. Uh, where, how can our viewers get a hold of you? Yeah, so um, john.good at realproducersmag.com. We're on Facebook, too. If you guys want to check out Fort Wayne Real Producers, we post all of our features on there. We've got quite a following on that. Um, We always say that we are exclusive. So, uh, you know, if you're an agent listening, uh, most people know, obviously, who we are, but it's something they can, you know, basically try to earn as a a magazine. you got the numbers of what has to earn it. Last year was $4.5 so that's kind of the benchmark. We have a lot of agents put it on their dream board. They want to earn this thing if they don't earn it currently. Um, and then as a business, if you're interested in reaching the top agents uh, in a much easier fashion than what you're currently doing, uh, we still are obviously adding advertising partners uh, here and there. We've added two more this morning already. So there's people wanting to just be on board, be a part of the platform. Uh, it just requires a meeting with me first, and then we'll kind of go from there. But if you guys want to reach out to me, um, yeah, anytime, we'll, we'll have a conversation. So Awesome. Any final thoughts? For our viewers? I don't think so. Thank you guys for being on. Let me come on. It was awesome to chat a little bit and share some of our journey. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys for watching. Peace. I like it. Cool.